Chapter nine of Peeps at People Being Certain Papers from the Writings of Anne Warrington Witherup by John Kendrick Bangs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter nine Rudyard Kipling Anne Warrington Witherup read by K. Hand Rudyard Kipling read by Bavia an endeavor to find rudyard kipling at home is very much like trying to discover the north pole most people have an idea that there is a north pole somewhere but up to the hour of going to press few have managed to locate it definitely the same is true of mr kipling's home he has one no doubt somewhere but exactly where that favored spot is is as yet undetermined my first effort to find him was at his residence in vermont but upon my arrival i learned that he had fled from the green mountain state in order to escape from the autograph hunters who were continually lurking about his estate next i sought him at his lodgings in london but the fog was so thick that if so be he was within i could not find him then taking a p and o steamer i went out to calcutta and thence to simla in neither place was he to be found and i sailed to egypt hired a camel and upon this ship of the desert cruised down the easterly coast of africa to the transvaal where i was informed that while he had been there recently mr kipling had returned to london i immediately turned about and upon my faithful and wobbly steed took a short cut catacorner wise across to algiers where i was fortunate enough to intercept the steamer upon which the object of my quest was sailing back to britain he was traveling incognito as mr peters but i recognized him in a moment not only by his vocabulary but by his close resemblance to a woodcut i had once seen in the advertisement of a famous dermatologist which i had been told was a better portrait of kipling than of dr skinberry himself whose skill in making people look unlike themselves was celebrated by the publication of the woodcut in question he was leaning gracefully over the starboard galley as i walked up the gangplank i did not speak to him however until after the vessel had sailed i am too old a hand at interviewing modest people to be precipitate and i knew that if i began to talk to mr kipling about my mission before we started he would in all probability sneak ashore and wait over a steamer to escape me once started he was doomed unless he should choose to jump overboard so i waited and finally as gibraltar gradually sank below the horizon i tackled him mr kipling said i as we met on the lanyard deck peters said he lighting a jinrishka all the same i retorted taking out my notebook i've come to interview you at home are you a good sailor i'm good at whatever i try said he therefore you can wager a spring bonnet against a cohat that i am a good sailor excuse me for asking said i it was necessary to ascertain my instructions are to interview you at home if you are a good sailor then you are at home on the sea so we may begin what work are you engaged on now the hardest of my life he replied i am now trying to avoid an american lady journalist i know you are an american by the cuban flag you are wearing in your buttonhole i know that you're a lady because you wear a bonnet which a gentleman would not do if he could and i know you're a journalist because you have confessed it but for goodness sake madam address me as peters and i will talk on forever if it were known on this boat that i am kipling i should be compelled to write autographs for the balance of the voyage and i have come away for a rest very well mr peters said i i will respect your wishes why did you go to south africa after color 
i am writing a new book and i needed color there are more colored people in africa than anywhere else wherefore i see said i and did you get it <laughs> he sneered did i get it it is evident madam that you have not closely studied the career of rigid uh peters did he ever fail to get anything he wanted i don't know i replied that's what i wanted to find out well you may draw your own conclusions he retorted when i speak that beautiful and expressive american word knit i put the word down for future use it is always well for an american to make use of her own language as far as is possible and nowhere can one gain a better idea of what is distinctly of american than from a study of english authors who use americanisms with an apology paid for no doubt at space rates have you been at work on the ocean i inquired no said he why should i work on the ocean i can't improve the ocean excuse me said i i didn't know that you were a purist i'm not said he i'm a peters there was a pause and i began to suspect that beneath his suave exterior mr kipling concealed a certain capacity for being disagreeable i didn't know i said but that you had spent some of your time interviewing the boilers or the engines of the ship a man who can make a locomotive over into an attractive conversationalist ought to be able to make a donkey engine for instance on shipboard seem less like a noisy jackass than it is good he cried his face lighting up there's an idea there god i'll write a poem on the donkey engine as a sort of companion to my mac andrews hymn and what is more i will acknowledge my debt to you for suggesting the idea i'm much obliged mr uh peters i said coldly but you needn't you are welcome to the idea but i prefer to make my own name for myself if you put me in one of your books i should become immortal and while i wish to become immortal i prefer to do it without outside assistance peters nay kipling immediately melted if you were a man said he i'd slap you on the back and call the steward to ask you what you'd have thank you said i under the circumstances i am glad i am not a man i do not wish to be slapped on the back even by a british author but if you really wish to repay me for my suggestion drop your unnatural modesty and let me interview you frankly tell me what you think if you ever do think you have been so meteoric that one naturally credits you with more heart and spontaneity than thought and care very well said he let the cross-examination begin do you ride a bicycle i asked not at sea he replied what is your favorite wheel i asked the last that is sent me by the maker he answered do you use any tonic hair health or otherwise which you particularly recommend to authors i asked i must refuse to answer the question until i have received the usual check said mr er peters do you still hold with the spanish that americans are pigs and that new york is a trough i asked there are exceptions and when i last saw new york i was not a conscious witness of any particularly strong devotion to the pen he answered uneasily and evasively do you like the american climate i asked is there such a thing he asked in return if there is i didn't see it you americans are in the experimental stage of existence in weather as in garment i don't think you have as yet settled upon any settled climate my experience has been that during any week in any season of the year you have a different climate for each day 
i can say this however that your changes are such that the average is uncomfortable it is hot one day and cold the next baking the third wintry the fourth humid the fifth dry the sixth and on the seventh you begin with sunshine before breakfast follow it up with rain before luncheon and a sleigh ride after dinner it was evident that mr er peters had not lost his powers of observation why have you left vermont mr kipling i asked peters he remonstrated in a beseeching whisper excuse me mr peters said i why have you left vermont mr peters that is a delicate question madam he replied are you not aware that my house is still in the market i am instructed said i drawing out my check-book to get an answer to any question i may choose to ask at any cost if you fear to reply because it may prevent a sale of your house i will buy the house at your own price forty thousand dollars said he it's worth twenty thousand but in the hurry of my departure i left fifty thousand dollars worth of notes stowed away in the attic i drew and handed him the check now that your house is sold said i why mr peters did you leave vermont for several reasons he replied putting the check in his pocket and relighting his jinrishka which had gone out in the first place it was some distance from the town i thought when i built the house that i could go to new york every morning and come back at night my notion was correct but i discovered afterwards that while i could go to new york by day and return by night there was not more than five minutes between the trains i had to take to do it then there was a certain amount of human sympathy involved the postman was fairly bent under the weight of letters i received asking for autographs he came twice a day and each time the poor chap had to carry a ton of requests for autographs still you needn't have replied to them i said oh i never tried to he said it was the postman who aroused my sympathy but you didn't give up trying to live in your own house that had cost you twenty thousand dollars for that i said well no he answered frankly i didn't there were other drawbacks you americans are too fond of collecting things for instance i went to a reception one night in boston and i wore a new dress suit and by joe when i got home and took off my coat i found that the tails had been cut off i presume by souvenir hunters every mail brought countless requests for locks of my hair and every week when my laundry came back there were at least a dozen things of one kind or another missing which i afterwards learned had been stolen off the line by collectors of literary relics then the kodak films that continually lurked about behind bushes and up in the trees and under the piazzas were a most infernal nuisance i dare say there are fifty thousand unauthorized photographs of myself in existence to-day even these i might have endured not to mention visitors who daily came to my home to tell me how much they enjoyed my books ten or a dozen of these people are gratifying but when you come down to breakfast and find a line stretching all the way from your front door to the railway station and excursion trains coming in loaded to the full with others every hour it ceases to be pleasant and interferes seriously with one's work however i never murmured until one day i observed a gang of carpenters at work on the other side of the street putting up a curious-looking structure which resembled nothing i had ever seen before 
when i had made inquiries i learned that an enterprising circus manager had secured a lease of the place for the summer and was erecting a grandstand for people who came to catch a glimpse of me to sit on it was then that the thread of my patience snapped i don't mind writing autographs for eight hours every day and i don't mind being kodaked if it makes others happy and if any boston relic hunter finds comfort in possessing the tails of my dress coat he is welcome to them but i can't go being turned into a sideshow for the delectation of a circus-loving people so i got out i was silent i knew precisely what he had suffered and could not blame him i suppose i said sympathetically that this means you will never return oh no said he i expect to go back some day but not until public interest in my personal appearance has died out sometimes somebody will discover some new kind of a freak to interest you people and when that happens i will venture back for a day or two but until then i think i'll stay over here where an illustrious personage can have a fit in the street if he wants to without attracting any notice whatsoever there are so many great people over here like myself and lord salisbury and emperor william that fame doesn't distinguish a man at all and it is possible to be happy though illustrious and to enjoy a certain degree of privacy just then the english coast hove in sight and mr kipling went below to pack up his mulligawatney while i drew close to the rail and reflected upon certain peculiarities of my own people they certainly do love a circus End of chapter 9